0: Let's uh, pause together as we recognize God's presence in our midst and then turn to reflect on the passage of Scripture that was read this morning. So, Father in heaven, we do bow before you again. Lord, we have this morning already worshipped you, worshipped you through song and through sharing and through the hearing of your word. And we want to pause together as a group And simply bow before you and recognize that you are the great God. Apart from you, there is none other. Thank you again for the life of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come into our midst to help us to see our Lord a little more clearly through this account of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. Lord, again we say together how much we love you. And now we pray that uh, you will speak to us. Help us to listen, Lord, we pray in your great name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Height. And today we begin Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday where we, together as a church family, reflect on this Starting of this week that begins here with Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem and proceeds to the week that leads us to Good Friday, to that reality when Jesus is crucified on the cross, and then three days later next week on Easter morning as we rejoice together in the resurrection of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But today... We want to, just for a few moments together, reflect on this passage where Luke records for us Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. Now, as a church body, we're working through the book of Luke together, and last week we were in Luke chapter 6. After Easter, we'll go back to those earlier chapters, but at least for today and next week we want to jump ahead to reflect on this season in the life of the church. Here, as Jesus finally enters into the city of Jerusalem, as Luke recounts it and describes it for us here, as he gets this colt that's never been ridden, ridden on, he says here, sends his disciples, or a few of them, to go and prepare this And then he rides down from Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, down the valley, and then into the city of Jerusalem. Following this, Luke goes on to describe how he then cleanses the temple and then for several days interacts with the people, continuing to teach and to point them to himself, and then of course, uh, the story of the cross and the betrayal and the crucifixion of Jesus. But at least in this moment and this day, everyone is excited and in a a positive sense. As Jesus rides into the city, there the crowds gather around and they begin to cry out praise and worship to Jesus with a whole spirit of expectation that something wondrous is about to happen, Of course, Jesus knows that a few days after this event, that the crowds who are now singing his praise and giving great cheer will turn to curse him and to cry out, crucify him. But at least today, they are saying things like, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I don't know if you've ever been in a big crowd where there's lots of energy and emotion and passion. Sometimes they can be a great place to be and sometimes they can be a terrifying place to be. When we lived in Argentina back in uh, 2002, 2003, the country had for several years been heading toward a dramatic economic crisis and one hit, let me tell you. It... uh, Really uh, destroyed uh, the country in many ways. The government fell, and over a two-week period, uh, they had five presidents. Um, Congress would meet there in the emergency session, and they'd put forward a guy, and he'd last about a day or two. And I say two weeks, actually, it's just one week, seven days. They had five presidents. And uh, it was a horrific time in the, the nation there, the country in which we were living, Argentina. And there would be every day, for weeks following this, in fact, every day, both in the capital city and in major cities throughout the country as a whole, there were demonstrations and marches and uh, crying out for economic help and justice. Uh, It was a very unsettling time. And these crowds, in a moment, could turn from, you know, wanting good things and asking for good things in a flash turned to violence and destruction. Uh, I remember one time they were, they were showing this march in a city where um, a huge crowd had gathered. And in one of those instances, the crowd turned and began to, in fact, destroy the area of the city that they were in. They were breaking into stores. And, of course, people were under great economic hardship. Hardship. I remember very distinctly in my mind, they, they had a cameraman who was watching a little neighborhood grocery store where the crowds had busted in and torn down the doors and basically cleaned the poor guy out. Now this was not a wealthy guy. He was a small businessman. And they had this this heartbreaking shot of him standing outside the door of his little A ma and pa grocery store weeping and crying and just in utter turmoil. Because for him, there was no insurance. There was no uh, salvation in a sense. There was no police around to help, to come in and help. Basically, they poured into his shop and cleaned it dry. And his life and livelihood was washed away before him. And, And I remember the commentator just saying over and over several times, oh, this poor man, oh, this poor man, oh, this poor man. A crowd that had gathered together for quote-unquote good purposes to cry out for economic justice turned in a flash to enter into activity that was destructive and harmful. So it is here in our story with Jesus. As Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a colt, hearing in his ears the praises of the people, crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a few days from now, from this moment, will turn and cry out for his death by means of a horrible crucifixion on a cross. Well, this movement in the book of Luke to Jerusalem is not just a ha- happenstance kind of thing, but from ver- from the very beginning of Luke, as he develops and builds his story, his account of the life of Jesus, structures it around this movement to the city of Jerusalem itself. Of course, and the beginning of the book as. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary in chapter 1. Among the things that he says to her is that she will give birth to a son who will sit on the throne of David and reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, the angel says, there will be no end. Luke records how Jesus then grows up. As a little baby, he's in fact taken to the temple where he is dedicated just at the first week of his life. And there Luke records for us that among the people that are there in the temple is a lady by the name of Anna. You remember when we went through this, she was a prophetess. And Luke tells us that she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem itself. Symbolized in the coming of the anointed one, the son of David, who would come and rescue the people of Israel and establish a kingdom and a throne that will last forever. And, of course, that throne of David is linked very intimately to the city of Jerusalem itself. If you go back to the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 5, there it recounts for us the story how, of, in fact, that King David, when he became king, one of the things that he did was to go to this place Called Jerusalem and rescue it, conquer it. It was a city of the Jebusites. And there he established the kingdom of the united Israel there in the land. And as Jesus then grows into adulthood, as we've seen in chapter 4, where Jesus first walks through those 40 days of temptation in the wilderness... And then he begins his earthly ministry. He starts in Galilee, and you remember how then one of the cities that he goes to very early on is a place called Nazareth, and there he proclaims that wonderful message from the book of Isaiah to announce good news to the poor, and that uh, Jesus, in a sense, was establishing and initiating his ministry. And those early chapters of Luke record how he goes from place to place to place there in the land um, teaching about the kingdom of heaven and about himself, what God is like, and how he is calling us to live. Last week we looked at that powerful section in Luke chapter 6 where Luke records for us his version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. And he recounts those wonderful words of blessed are the poor. And this call to the heartbeat of the kingdom to love. He continues to go on, however, until we get to Luke chapter 9, which is a key chapter in the structure of Luke's book, because there Jesus, as he turns to his disciples, who he has chosen by that point, and they've been following him, and he's in fact sent them out to do some ministry on their own, and then they've come back, that he turns to them in chapter 9, and he asks them, who do the people say that I am? Well, they reply, some say that you're John the Baptist come to life or that you're Elijah the prophet or you're one of the other prophets of old uh, come back to us. And then he turns to the 12 and he says, now who do you say that I am? And there Peter gives that powerful confession where he says, you are the Christ, you know, the son of the living God. There Jesus not only begins to tell them plainly that the end of his life was going to move towards this giving of his life, that the leaders there, the religious leaders, were out to kill him and, in fact, that they would do so. And also in that chapter, in verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, but maybe you could jot it down, where it says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. As this uh, revelation becomes crystallized in this confession by Peter, you are the Christ. Here in this in this chapter, Luke records that Jesus now sets his face towards Jerusalem that he is marked to go and he knows what will happen when he goes there. And as he travels then from different places, he continues to teach and he heals and he gives parables about him and about the kingdom of heaven, Luke 13 is another place. Verse 22, where Luke records for us that he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. That he knew where he was going, and he knew where he was headed, and he knew what was going to happen when he arrived. And so now we're in Luke chapter 19 the passages that were read this morning, where Jesus now is ready to enter the city itself and set in motion those events in the final days of his life that will lead to his death on a cross. And as I read this this week, reflecting on this passage, the point that I want us to focus on this morning is simply this, Is Jesus' reaction when he gets to the entrance of the city. If you have your Bibles, look in Luke chapter 19. Luke records for us that when he, that is Jesus, drew near and he sees the city of Jerusalem, Luke tells us that he began to weep. He weeps over the city. Now, if you're following Jesus' life to this point, you may wonder yourself, why in the world is he weeping? Perhaps he's weeping because the people are going to reject him. and he's weeping over the events that are going to unfold in his own life, per- his own life personally. But as Luke begins to describe Jesus' words, as he speaks over the city, that inherent in this weeping is not the sorrow over his own life, but the sorrow that pours out of his heart that is rooted in this tremendous sense of love and passion for his own people who fail to recognize that God has appeared to them in their midst. He says to them, you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not recognize the day of God's coming to you and welling up in Jesus' heart begins to pour out of him these tears and sorrow and sadness because the people whom he loves deeply and passionately have missed who he is. And that he knows in just a few days from now will turn to reject him and spurn him and push him towards a cross. Well, what is it that drives Jesus to Jerusalem all through the book of Acts from chapter 9 all the way here to 19? What is revealed in this gospel is the heart of love. And Pastor Jeff spoke about Jesus's words about Love last week as he gave that sermon on the plane, the kind of love that even does good to those who hate you and blesses those who curse you. And Jesus himself lives out that love. He models that love as he sets his face towards Jerusalem. And now we see him in chapter 19 entering into this the city that he loves. And you can see the deep sorrow in the scene where he weeps over his people. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, as Jesus has already set his face towards Jerusalem, chapter 13, for instance, he speaks about Jerusalem. And there he uses this picture, this analogy, of a hen gathering its chicks underneath its wings. Jesus then there also pours out his heart, his heart and he describes how, how he longed for Jerusalem, God's people, to receive him and to allow him as a hen would gather a, checks, a chicks underneath its wings for him to do the same, but they would not, for they failed to see who he was and why he had came why he had come. Few. Uh, weeks ago, earlier this month, I had the opportunity to go for a week and a little more to uh, the country of Kenya in East Africa to visit with Chris and Candy Wood. Chris and Candy and their family are members here of Community Heights Alliance Church, and they've been now two years uh, on the coast in a little, little village by the name of Kwale. There they're serving with uh, African Inland Mission to, with a team to work to reach, in particular, a tribal group uh, there in in Kenya, and uh, it's a numbers of about four hundred thousand. It's a um, it's a Muslim tribe, and as best they're able to tell from those that they know who have come to know Christ, the number of those who profess Jesus in this group is a is uh, the number is point zero one percent. It's like 1 in 10,000. And there as they've gone there, they've, they've uh, done so with this team. And as I talked with Chris and spent time with him, the love that God has put within his heart and Candy's heart for this group of people that are so far from them. There's a picture up on the screen of Chris and Candy, and uh, some of their kids there as they've, they're gathered in the living room of the place that they live. One of their kids is named Jessica, and Jessica is, one of their, is an adopted daughter in their family. Long before they felt God calling them to the land of Kenya, God had called them to adopt uh, uh, a girl, who uh, is from uh, East Africa, from the country of uh, Uganda. And uh, some of you know the story of Chris and Candy and that whole adoption process. It's a long story, but as they made connection with the orphanage there in Uganda, they had opportunity then to go and to visit her when she was just a little girl of about three years old. And Chris tells that when they arrived there, they got to meet her. And in fact, they got to bring her from the orphanage to the place that they were staying as they were there for a couple of weeks. But because of the adoption process, and it was quite long there in Uganda, they actually had to leave her there at the orphanage, orf- or orphanage and return to the United States for about two or three months. And you can imagine their heart as they get this, to meet this young girl and to begin to bring her into their family and long to do so, them having to get on a plane and go back to the United States. About two or three months later, they were able to come back to Uganda as the adoption process continued. And uh, there, however, they ran into additional snags. They had to go to court. It's kind of their final court appearance. And to finally get her officially adopted into their family, they needed the father of Jessica to show up in court and to sign off on the papers and to stand before the judge there and to give his okay. The challenge was, as they were, the days leading up to that, this man was uh, refusing to go to court. And as I listened to Chris tell the story again about the frustration that was resulting, and the fear, and the heartache because of the love that had developed within them for this little girl and longing to bring her into their family. Well, the good news is that he finally relented, that he came to court, he signed the papers, and what joy they experienced when they got out on a plane to bring her back to the United States to be officially and formally a part of their family And she is, Jessica, is one of their kids like all the rest. And they love her dearly and wonderfully. But you can imagine the heartache that would have unfolded in their life if that man would have stood his ground and said no. And Jessica would have remained in the orphanage and they would have had returned to the United States. The sorrow and even weeping, I'm sure, that would have occurred Perhaps even some of you in the room know of that kind of experience or know of someone who has gone through the adoption process, but for different reasons it didn't go through. And the kind of heartache and love expressed through tears that would be the result. And in an analogous fashion, this is Jesus here, right, in this passage as he's riding in, with the praise of the people in his ear, knowing full well that in a few days that they would deny him and cry out for his very life. And as he enters the city, Luke describes for us that flowing out of him from this deep sense of love and longing to bring his people into his midst, as a hen, if, if you will, would gather chicks around it to cover it up with its wings so Jesus longed for the same thing and as I read this passage this week from the Gospel of Luke the thing that struck me again and again was the depth of the love that our Lord has for you and me do we really truly understand just how much God loves you and how much He loves me. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, Paul writes, "Why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The gospel writer uh, John says in one of his letters, in his first letter, in chapter 4, these words. He says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, John writes. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so then he goes on to write, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. What drove Jesus to Jerusalem? What caused him to set his face towards Jerusalem, determined to go and enter the city? Well, it wasn't duty, to be sure, or mere duty, what flowed out of the depths of our Lord was simply the word love, deep love, unstoppable love, unquenching love. Love that sought to even bless those who cursed him. Love that led him to a cross to give up his life as a ransom so that we who are separated from the living God might find life and love and joy and peace and all the things that God longs to pour upon us if we will but simply respond to his love. Do you know, do you really know how much God really does love you and me? And the extent that he went to demonstrate that love and to redeem us, and to rescue us, and to bring us life itself. Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, hear me. God deeply loves you. And he longs to bring you into his kingdom, in his realm of influence, not to push us around and tell us what to do, but to pour out upon us, All the love and joy and hope and blessing that he longs to give his people. If you don't know Jesus today, you can. And it's simply done by expressing faith and trust in him and bowing before him and receiving his forgiveness and receiving from him life and love. If you do know Jesus this morning, however... One, praise his name, right? That you have come to experience and know the richness of this kind of love expressed in this passage. But you know, as followers of Jesus, we not only receive forgiveness from him, but he invites us, he welcomes us, he calls us to walk with him and even to become like him. Right, that his very life would live in us and that we as his children would begin more and more and more and more by the power and work of the Spirit within us to become like him. Now it's true, right, that only Jesus can die for the sins of the world. Only he can go to that cross. But the same Jesus also says to us, if you would follow me, if anyone would follow me, what we too must take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him. There, there is a cross for us to bear too and a life to emulate in that sense. And as I was reflecting on this passage and this fact that as Jesus drew near and he saw the city and he wept over it because of love, God's spirit began to speak to my own heart. What about you, John? What about you? That as a follower of Jesus, does your heart weep too for those whom God longs to invite into his kingdom and yet are failing to know the time of the visitation of the Lord? Do we as a church body And all the joy and wonder and life that comes from Jesus, do we too have our moments when we weep over a place like Newton or Baxter or Monroe or Sully or the surrounding areas where we would learn how to weep for a place very far from us like Kwale, Kenya, where Chris and Candy live. And because not of duty, But because of love, begin to cry out for those who don't yet know the Lord and long for them to come and experience the same hope and joy that you and I have found. You know, duty and obligation are not enough to sustain us in kingdom life. And duty won't change Newton. Obligation won't change Newton. Programs won't change Newton. What will change Newton is the love of Christ expressed through his people. Oh, that God would stir in us who know the Lord well up within us. Same kind of love that Jesus expressed over the city of Jerusalem that we would do the same. John 15 says these words. Jesus speaking, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And may we too, as Community Heights Alliance Church, learn how to lay down our life for our friends, both within this church body and without, especially those that are Without. Who, yet, who have yet to experience the love and forgiveness and joy that Jesus has. And how does that happen? It happens through love, first by understanding, allowing the love of Jesus to so dwell within us that out of us will spill also love and rivers of living water. Will you pray with me as we close? And as the team comes back, to sing for us again in closing. Father, we want to bow before you. And we say again, thank you so much for your love expressed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, your word says that you so love the world that you gave that we might have life. And we bow again this morning, those of us that know you and worship you. And we would pray, Lord Jesus, that you would plant within us that same kind of love that would even move us to weep over people who are far from you. Lord, we say again as a church family, as a church body, that we love you and that we worship you again. Oh, help us to see your love And by your spirit, to see it well up within us and spill out over a community and beyond a world that desperately needs to know the hope and joy and love that we have found in you. We pray this, that you would do this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.